This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 25, and we're recording on Tuesday, April 19th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. What's up, Amanda? How are you living? <laughs> I'm good. I voted this morning, so I feel oh, yeah? I feel uh, I feel like I am an, a citizen of the of the country I live in. <laughs> you right. know how like, because- you don't always feel like you're actually part of things, and then you go do something like vote, and you're like, yes, wait, I am a part of things. I'm part of a great experimental republic. <laughs> yeah. La-dee-da. And, you know, most days it drives me crazy, but at least sometimes... <laughs> <laughs> I get to do a thing that makes was me it feel- a, a smooth experience. I on Twitter, some people were complaining about like their poll workers were giving them grief. Oh, really? No, I even did it wrong. Oh, <laughs> because I've never voted for convention delegates before. This is the first year I've ever been registered in a party to vote, mm. um, and so I don't normally get to vote for things like delegates. And I did it completely wrong, and I had to go back and get a new ballot. But no, I I mean I don't know if I hit the timing just right. I just kind of walked in and out, and everybody was super nice to me so voting for delegates is meta like, I don't even you're not even voting for a candidate or yeah. a potential candidate <laughs> I thought I completely misread the way the ballot worked and like when I went to explain what I had done wrong they just kind of looked at me <laughs> <laughs> and I was like I just shut up I've never voted for these before <laughs> like give me a new ballot give me a new one just give me a new one I'll go <laughs> I'll be over there blushing into my coffee it's fine um <laughs> so Anyway, go vote. Everybody. Anyway, everybody go vote. You um, still have the ability to do that. <clears throat> indeed. Yeah, right, exactly. Uh, okay, right, so what is this a show of, of? It's a show of reading recommendations. So if you're new to the podcast, uh, we get questions from listeners like you, and we answer them. And the questions are things like, what do I read after a little life has destroyed me emotionally? Or I don't know what to give my nephew for Christmas. Pretty much any question you have for yourself or for someone else in your life that is book-related uh, in terms terms of what you should read next, we are here to answer. And there's lots of ways you can get us those questions. You can tweet them to us online. Um, I am Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, and Amanda's I'm Amanda Nelson. You can email them to getbooked at bookriot.com, or you can put them in the form that's at the bottom of the post for every episode of the show. Right? That's all the ways. Yep. So those are the ways. And if you don't hear us answer your question right away, we are we do our best. We are going to answer all of them. We have taken a vow. (laughs) Um, But if it's time sensitive in any way, please say so in either the subject line of the email or in the form itself so that we know and we'll try to get to it ASAP. All right. Shall we? Let's do it. Okay. so this first question is from Amy. She says, I'm really hoping you can help scratch this itch I have that hasn't been scratched in a while. I'm a science and nature geek. My favorite book of all time is Barbara Kingsolver's Prodigal Summer. I love the science and nature aspects of it, learning about different creatures and ecosystems. And honestly, I think the book led me out of my shell and eventually to my husband. That's nice. I also love the interwoven stories from several points of view. I'd really love some other books that bring stories to and from nature. Other books that hit some of the science and nature itch that I've loved have included Signature of All Things, The Martian, Suburban Safari, and Everything Mary Roach. So before we answer, let's talk about our first sponsor. Jen's going to talk about Book Riot Live. Book Riot Live! The first email about um, some of the authors that are attending went out, didn't it? Did no, it's well, oh. it, well, by the time this show has aired, it will have gone out. Yes, oh, so okay. this week... I got the test email. Whoops. Yeah, yeah, you did. <laughs> Glad this, I didn't say names. <laughs> don't spoil it, Amanda. No spoilers. <laughs> um, this is the week that we are doing our first round of author announcements. It's very exciting because um, we've been working uh, really hard to find, um, to build an author lineup that is as amazing as last year's, which was so amazing. And, yes. um, I'm super excited for this first announcement because we're off to a great start. So, yes. So, if you're not familiar, Book Riot Live is a two-day convention. It will be happening November 12th and 13th uh, this year. 
And it's our second year, and it's a convention that is basically, if you can imagine the site, but in person, that's what we're going for. So there's going to be silly stuff like Nerd Jeopardy and interesting stuff like talking about the process of publishing and games and different panel discussions, and there will be people from all genres, um, all different backgrounds, all different positions in their writing life. It's a pretty broad spectrum because that's what we're interested in, and uh yeah, and you'll see that for the first speaker announcement. I'm really, I like, I can't say what it is right now because yeah. the email hasn't technically gone out yet, but I'm really excited about it. So you can go to bookriotlive.com for more information to get your tickets. If you get your tickets before June 1st, you get all kinds of extra bonuses and goodies. Uh, and that's definite, and also a discount on your actual ticket. So all good things there. What else should I say? Aside from that, it's going to be amazing. We had so much fun last year. I cannot wait for this year. It's going to be great. It's going to be really good. Mm-hmm. Bookriotlive.com. Go get your info. All right. Science and nature books. I'll mm-hmm. go first. So yes. my first pick for you is State of Wonder by Ann Patchett, which I just love with so many loves. Uh, Science Lady Goes into the Amazon is the conceit of this book. So the main character um, is a pharmacologist. She's a researcher for a pharmaceutical company. Um, she was studying to be an OBGYN, but then she had a really bad experience delivering a baby via cesarean, so she changed her focus and now uh, works for a very powerful, money-grubbing kind of um, pharmaceutical company. So they're sending her, her company is sending her deep into the Amazon where her co- her colleagues are researching a drug um, that will be used to extend uh, fertility in women. And so one of her colleagues, while he's down there, has died, and they're She's being sent by her bosses to the Amazon to find out what happened and to check on the progress of the research and to generally just, you know, kind of crisis management. Someone is dead. Also, where is all of our money going kind of a thing? So she travels down to the jungle um, and solves this mystery of where her colleague went and what happened to him and how he met his, you know, doom or whatever. Um, There's a couple of really odd sort of... um, Characters. I mean, I can't, like, get into it without spoiling it, so I'm not going to. But there are some really interesting side characters, and there's a lot of science in this, as you would imagine. Um, So they're doing all of this research that's got some real, like, gender dynamic problems that they're exploring. There's a lot of, you know, kind of, like, heart of darkness colonialism stuff that Ann Patchett is looking at here, all in this backdrop of this really brilliant scientist um, and there's a little mystery. So there's a little bit of everything in this book and I really enjoyed it. So it's State of Wonder by Ann Patchett. I think we found our show title, Doom or Whatever. <laughs> that was great. Yes. Um, good job. Way to, way to come in strong. Thank you. Uh, so, yeah, my first recommendation for you is an author. Uh, anything by Annie Dillard. Yeah. Like, literally anything. But I'll talk about Pilgrim at Tinker Creek because that's one of my favorites. Uh, so Annie Dillard is primarily a poet and a nonfiction writer. And Pilgrim at Tinkle, Tinker... Oh, boy. <laughs> I've had a lot of coffee, and so I'm talking too fast. <laughs> Let's try that again. Pilgrim at Tinker Creek is sort of a meditation on nature and seasons. So what she's done is she's one year of exploration. She's taking notes from one year's worth of exploration uh, as she walks around her own neighborhood in Tinker Creek, Virginia. And so she's, you know, doing things like watching the creek and, you know, thinking about wave mechanics and then watching butterflies and thinking about the Arctic and just all of these different meditations on nature and the way that we interact with nature in our daily lives. She's a beautiful writer. I mean, her sentences are just perfect gems of discovery and thoughtfulness. And uh, and she's got a whole bunch of books. One of them, An American Childhood, is my other favorite, which is about growing up in Pittsburgh. And she's she documents so well the moments of sort of self-consciousness when you hit that moment as a child when suddenly you're aware of yourself as a person in the world as opposed to just like being present in the moment and thinking about her father and you know he would go on these epic river trips and thinking about what that meant to him and what it means to her she is just amazing I love all of her books so that's Annie Dillard uh, with an emphasis on Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Okay, my second pick for you is Pandemic by Sonia Shaw. Uh, This just came out I think last month 
and it is terrifying. <laughs> I second this, but it's so good. It's so great. I listened to it on audio, and the author reads it, and it um, she's great uh, narrator. So this is nonfiction, and it's a part like social medical history and part um, like examination of America's coming dystopia, kind of. Um, but she's tracing the history of various pandemics in human society. So she's mostly focusing on cholera, um, Ebola. She talks about HIV a little bit and uh, current pandemics like the, the West Nile virus and SARS. Um, and what was the other one? Something about something the bird flu. H1N1, right. Um, that went around a couple of years ago. So she's looking at how we as organized civilizations have responded to pandemics, which a lot of times involves us like denying that they're even happening and how that influences how they spread. Um, she talks a lot about like the sociological stuff that goes into the spread of a, of a pandemic, especially like racism and poverty, which I thought was really interesting. I had never thought about the effects of a pandemic on like racial, uh, what am I trying to say? Like, um, or just racism. Like she, so she's talking about how the bird flu, an example is how when the bird flu happened, that originated in Asia, and the effect was that in Canada, the Chinese-Canadian population experienced all this racism and lost all this money because their businesses were being shut down because people were terrified of them and all of this kind of thing. So it's really fascinating. Um, and then she talks about, she looks at all of that past stuff, like how we've handled pandemics in the past and uses it to consider how we might handle what is an inevitable coming pandemic because of, um, you know, statistics <laughs> show that we've probably got one coming to us, like a really big one. Um, she also talks a little bit about how climate change is influencing the spread of pandemics, which is also a thing I had never considered. And this is the thing that, that I think freaked me out the most because it's something that I can't control. Like no, no amount of washing my hands is going to change global warming. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, uh, but you know, like the, the, the warming of um, the, the rise in our global temperatures is making it really easy for fungi to spread. And so th there's a real possibility that the next pandemic among humans will be fungal, which is, never really happened before because it's been so cold normally in our climate that, you know, it's really kind of difficult for a fungus to spread. Um, but that's really not the case anymore. So that's a little terrifying. Uh, and so, you know, obviously this is a science packed book, but I also really enjoyed the history and the sociological uh, stuff that she talks about. So that's Pandemic by Sonia Shaw. Be ready to wash your body a million times after, <laughs> you, after you read it. It was with the section where she talks about how she got MRSA. I was oh. just like, oh, my God, <laughs> that's intense. Oh, like the stuff that she has to do. Oh, to, you know, her oh, and her kid. Oh, it's just so rough. Like, oh my and, she, and her son brought yeah. is the one who brought it into her house. So, of course, now I'm looking at my children. Right? Like, <laughs> like, do you have any spots what on you? What did you touch when you were gone today? <laughs> Oh. All right. So my second pick for you is The Tusk That Did the Damage by Tanya James, which was one of my favorite books that came out in 2015. It is a multiple narrator novel that looks at South India, um, specifically this uh wildlife reservation um and it tracks uh one of the narrators is an elephant uh which sounds gimmicky and is amazingly not um one of the narrators is a documentary filmmaker one of them is a poacher one of them is a person who lives in a village right near the wildlife reserve it's really stunning and very emotional and i think the thing that you'll like about it is because it it deeply is about how we interact with nature and not too dissimilar from Prodigal Summer, which is also a book that I love in that you've got people who are like there to protect it and then people who are there to take advantage of it. And there's a lot of tension on like there's a lot of gray area, like who is right in certain situations. Like there's obviously terrible things and poaching is horrible in many ways, but there's also, you know, people who genuinely do want to use it for for purposes that make sense from their lives and how nature laws and conservation and stuff, all of the tensions that swirl around that and land use. It's fascinating. And she's an amazing writer. She did such a good job of bringing so many different perspectives to this novel. It's really, I just think it was so well done. Um, and it's super sad. So, you know, make sure you have tissues nearby. Um, you will have have a lot of feelings about this book, uh, but I think that it will really satisfy both your interest in really good human stories and really good nature stories. So that is The Tusk That Did the Damage by Tanya James. 
You know, I'm also going to put a link in the show notes to a post that just went up um, from Valerie Michael, one of our contributors. That's uh, a roundup of like new sciencey nature outdoors books for spring. I remember one of them is like a history of rainfall, which I thought was really fascinating. Anyway, there are five and I'll leave a link. Um, those are all nonfiction. So you can check that out. Moving on. <laughs> all right. Next question. Uh, this question is from Paula. I'm asking for a friend. She is currently reading any biography she can get her hands on, from Hollywood legends to English writers to Russian leaders and royalty. Please recommend some not-to-be-missed biographies. I like this question. Me too. This is a good question. All right, I'm talking, so I'm going to keep talking. Uh, My first pick for your friend is The Black Count by Tom Rice, which is next on my list as soon as I'm done rereading The Count of Monte Cristo. It is about the real Count of Monte Cristo, which was Alexander Dumas' father, General Alex Dumas, who was a black man, uh, the son, he was the son of a black slave, who became a general in a white world. Um, he was born in Haiti, and then he made his way to Paris and became a member of the French aristocracy. Like, this is an amazing story that, mm. how do we not know this story? Like, everybody knows the Three Musketeers, and, you know, like, everybody's familiar with Dumas' work, but, like, I don't... I didn't know until this book came out that he, that his father was black. Like, that's Mm. so interesting and so crazy. Um... And so, yeah, so this book is about Dumas' father, um, who he based the novel Count of Monte Cristo on. And uh, it's just, I mean, you know, you've got 18th century France, you've got, you know, the multiracial society, you've got, you know, rags to riches, you've got all of these different elements. And it's a true story. It's just so great. Uh, (laughs) So that's The Black Count by Tom Rice. Okay, I picked my two favorite biographies for this one. The first one is Cleopatra, A Life by Stacey Schiff. And, you know, so much of the stuff that we know about Cleopatra is, like, cribbed from Shakespeare, as is a lot of what I think I know about, like, the Bible and history and <laughs> mythology. It's actually just crap I've read in Shakespeare. It's like the most unreliable source ever. <laughs> I know. Not real. Super not real. Uh, anyway, um, so we have this image of, like, you know, this beautiful seductress who ruined, depending on your point of view, the, uh, the Roman Empire with her face by being hot or something. Um, but obviously that's not the entire story. And so Stacey Schiff is a Pulitzer Prize winner and her biography of Cleopatra is so well-researched and so interesting. And the thing that I like about it is she obviously is telling the story of Cleopatra's life, but she also talks about the um, effects of Cleopatra's rule on the rest of the world, which is such a, it's a thing that you don't really get in any other discussions of Cleopatra because the focus is so often on her romantic relationships with Mark Antony and Julius Caesar and her really dramatic death that you never really get this, like, wait, she also was the ruler of one of the largest and most powerful countries that existed on the planet at that time, and her capture and death and her relationships with these men and her style of ruling um, really had, like, geopolitical consequences, and you never really hear or think about the geopolitical consequences because we're so wrapped up in the drama of her personal life. Um, So she goes into all of that, which was uh, stuff that I had never really considered because we're all a little bit sexist, I guess. Um, And of course, she's a fascinating person in her own right. She married twice. Both of her husbands were her brothers. Weird. Um, She murdered one of them because she didn't like him. They were super young. Just a really fascinating and strange and um, drama-filled but really powerful life uh, that is deserving of a really good biography. And that's what this is. So that's Cleopatra by Stacey Schiff. Um, Okay, so my second pick for you is a biography that I read after seeing the movie Creed, which was great, P.S. And I, like, have a thing for boxing and martial arts movies. I don't know what to tell you. And uh, and so I picked it up because Apollo Creed, um, who's the new character's dad, was based on Muhammad Ali. And I was like, let me know more about this fascinating person. And um, one of the things I like about this biography is that it's an oral biography. So instead of having one biographer the editor, Mark Collings, went around and talked to a huge range of people about Muhammad Ali and and recorded all of their answers. There's actually a documentary version of this. So it's Muhammad Ali, uh, excuse me, Muhammad Ali through the eyes of the world. And um, there's 50 men and women 
who he interviews. So, like, Angelo Dundee, who is Ali's trainer. He interviews Billy Crystal. Um, you know, he interviewed Muhammad Ali's daughter. Like, there's all of these fascinating people. I think Toni Morrison is in there somewhere. Like, it's a really intense... Oh, no, Maya Angelou uh, talks to James Earl Jones. Like, it's a really fascinating cross-section of people uh, having opinions. And some of them knew Ali well, and some of them did not. And But he was such a controversial figure because of his stance on Vietnam and then what that did to his boxing career and then how he came back uh, is a fascinating, fascinating story. There's so many different levels of political and social and, you know, sports uh, things going on in here. It's just amazing. Um, And nobody agrees with anybody else is my favorite part of it. Like some people are like, oh, yeah, he was just a big boaster and bragger and like he wasn't that smart, but he had a good heart. And then other people are like, he was a strategic genius and he (laughs) knew what he was doing at all times. And he totally played this off of this. And it's really interesting to see how wide the opinions of his contemporaries and those people around him were. So that is Muhammad Ali Through the Eyes of the World, edited by Mark Collings. Okay, so this is my favorite biography ever. It's John Adams by David McCullough. I feel like I would be remiss if I did not recommend a chunky presidential biography for somebody asking for really good biographies. Um, And this is my favorite one. It's huge. It's like 800 pages. I listened to it on audio and it took me two months to get through and I loved like every second. Um, David McCullough is a really well-known popular historian, but his work on the Founding Fathers and the Revolutionary War is my favorite. There's a, he also writes a really great book called 1776 that's about the revolution. It's great. Anyway, um, John Adams, focus, um, was a horrible person, kind of. Um, he was such a, he was so complicated. Like, like all of the Founding Fathers, he was a genius, but he was also kind of a jerk. Um, and McCullough really nails that. Like, he really, really gets to the heart of John Adams's imposter syndrome, which I love that, like, this brilliant lion of a man was constantly like, why doesn't anyone love me <laughs> forever? Um, and his relationship with Thomas Jefferson was really great. He really, he dives deep into his marriage. And, you know, John and Abigail Adams' marriage is a subject of countless biographies and speculations um, and is also made fun of a little bit in a song that was removed from the Hamilton musical that I love. Um, But this biography in particular, presidential bi- I'm going to go down this like rabbit hole right now in my brain. Presidential biographies have a reputation for being like really dry and boring and that reputation is earned, but this is not like that at all. John Adams was a controversial and emotional person and McCullough puts all of that out there. All of the controversy that surrounded his career, um, all of his missteps, of which there were many. He made a lot of really bad political decisions. He said a lot of horrible, ridiculous things, um, but he also, you know, kept us out of a war, right? You know, when we were trying to get on our feet, he was instrumental in keeping slavery from becoming more entrenched as an American institution, even more so than it was. And uh, he was a legal genius and I just love him so desperately. Anyway, this is a, a great biography. It's it's not just a great biography of John Adams. It's a great example of biography done well. And the audiobook is amazing. So if you feel like dedicating two months of your life to one of the founding fathers, this is an excellent selection. So that's John Adams by David McCullough. All right. Next question is you. Oh, it me. Um, okay. <clears throat> so let's see. This is from Anissa. And she says... I've made it my 2016 reading goal to finally get through the 40-plus books that I already own but haven't read. A lot of these are pretty heavy reads. Atlas Shrugged, Catch-22, Midnight's Children. For every one to two books that I get through on that list, I was hoping to reward myself with an engrossing and page-turning book in a trilogy or series. The only thing is that whenever I Google search for book suggestions for page-turners or series, I'm always directed towards fantasy, science fiction, and mysteries. I'm not against reading anything in those genres, but I'm hoping for some engrossing series that aren't in either of those categories. Something with great characters, interesting plot, basically a world that I can't wait to get back into when I need a break from my real life. So, okay, go, go. Yeah, this was a really interesting question because I did initially think of genre series as... <laughs> but, um, yeah, me too. <laughs> I'm going to leave a list in the show notes. I, I asked on Twitter um, and then remembered some that were not genre specific. But uh, I made a whole Storify list of some of the recommendations that people were giving me because they were really good. And there are actually a lot of series that are not technically mystery or sci-fi fantasy. So, or romance, which I just kind of assumed was 
not interesting to you based on your anyway it doesn't matter <laughs> um <laughs> so so yes uh so my first recommendation for you is amitav Ghosh's ibis trilogy which is historical fiction the first one is called sea of poppies and this series is set uh during right before the opium wars in china um and it, it it's a, a huge cast of characters so you have indians and colonial westerners and um you know free people and slaves and bankrupt rajas and french orphans and it's just like a really amazing diverse fascinating cast of characters and ghost does a really good job of looking at the history and then building a whole world that you feel like you can see and smell and touch and you know you can see the people that he's talking about moving through it and it's really incredibly engrossing like I when I was first reading this book I just I actually started dreaming about the ship <laughs> that he's oh, talking wow. about in it I know it was really I just felt like it was it was one of those all-encompassing things that you just kind of inhabit when you're turning the pages so it's uh, it's it's specifically about this one ship, uh, the Ibis, and um, she is you know on a merchant journey, and uh, the people that are coming into contact with her and her crew are sort of the crux of the novel. And it's just the first in a three book series, I believe, the third of which only recently came out. Like he's been writing these books for almost a decade now, um, and it's it's really well done. So that is the Sea of Poppies, is book one in the Ibis trilogy by Amitav Ghosh. Okay, my first pick for you is the Gilead Trilogy by Marilyn Robinson. <clears throat> and the three books are Gilead, the second one is Home, and the third one is Lila, which I have not read yet, but I've read the first two and I love them so much. Um, so you're starting with Gilead, obviously, and it's told from the perspective of a elderly man who's a preacher in the Midwest, and he's writing letters to his young son, um, who is, I think, supposed to be like about seven. Uh, obviously, this preacher was married his name is Reverend Ames, Reverend Ames, excuse me. He was married later in life, much later in life, and had a child. And he knows that he's going to probably die before his son is old enough to, you know, take on any of his fatherly wisdom. Um, and he knows that he's going to be gone before his son starts encountering his, like, life situations that he's really going to need a father for. So he's writing down all of these thoughts about faith and um, their family history and all of that kind of stuff for his son to have when he's gone. And so it's a really, like, heartbreaking, um, not in a sad way, though, just in this really melancholy, thoughtful, right-in-the-feels um, kind of way, especially if you have kids. I mean, you don't mention if you have kids or not, but if you do, it's, like, ugh, right in the gut. I read it before I had my sons and then after I had my sons, and it was a really different reading experience. Um, but Emily, Emily, whoo, Marilyn Robinson's writing is really spare and quiet, and... I, but I don't want you to think that that means that these are not page turners because they're really engrossing. I, I once you get into this world, you're you're not going to want to leave because he, the main character Ames is such a thoughtful person, and the the um, it's not just him like talking about his thoughts on stuff. There's also like plot, like stuff happens with his wife and stuff happens with his neighbor, and it's just about this really small midwestern life. Um, and it feels quiet, but the drama of these lives is really large because the drama, the everyday drama of our lives are large, even though it doesn't always feel that way. So um, you'll get really wrapped up in what's happening with all these people and you'll want to go back to it. So that's the Gilead trilogy. Uh, the first book is called Gilead, obviously, by Marilyn Robinson. All right, so my second pick for you is another historical fiction series. It's the Aubrey and Maturin series by Patrick O'Brien, the first of which is Master and Commander, which you might be familiar with. Uh, there was a Russell Crowe movie. <laughs> oh, I yeah. Actually, I did see it. I think I saw it in the theater when I was in college, maybe. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, this is a great series. It's like a bromance on the high seas. Um, yeah, bromance on the high seas. Amazing. I'm Title. <laughs> Somebody else described it to me as Jane Austen on the high seas because it is very mannered, which I think is interesting. Um, 
But like with less courting, I guess, because they're on a ship and there's not a lot of women around, uh, and it's not <laughs> that kind. Of, it's not that kind of bromance. Um, and so, anyway, so they're set in the 1800s. Um, it's a. It's during the Napoleonic Wars, and the captain Jack Aubrey is uh, the newly promoted captain of the HMS Sophie, and he wants to prove himself. He wants victory and adventure and battles and whatever, and he's kind of on this like old ship and his friend is also the ship's surgeon Stephen Metron um and they are they're like you know fighting in this war and also trying to you know keep their ship together in difficult circumstances and then they have this really lovely friendship that's fun to read about and there's brawls and there's you know all of this politics and class stuff and it's just a really interesting set of books i've only read the first one but i have a bunch of them and i think they might be my summer reading project this summer actually uh, because nice. i been, I really do like sort of that mannered historical fiction stuff anyway, and um, maritime fiction is a whole genre in and of itself, and I keep thinking I would like to read more of that, so we'll see what happens this summer, but it's on my list. So that's Master and Commander uh, by Patrick O'Brien. Okay, I can. I was having such a hard time coming up with something for this, and then Jen put in the sh- in our agenda like I'm here to talk about <laughs> Olivia Ferrante, and I was like, ah, oh, yes, obviously, I love these books so much. So, uh, the Neapolitan series by Elena Ferrante. They're translated by Anne Goldstein. I'm sure you've heard of. I mean, they've been everywhere, deservedly so. Um, so, the first book in the series is called My Brilliant Friend, and there are four. The fourth one just came out, um, but it is in paperback. If that's a concern you have, they- they're all out in paperback from Europa, uh, the publisher. Anyway, so the book takes place, it starts, the series starts in the 50s in Naples in Italy, and you're, it's told first person, uh, the main character's name is Elena, and the story is about her and her best friend, Lila, who they meet, you know, in their neighborhood, they grow up together, and in the first book, um, it's kind of discovered that they're both super smart, like they're both really academically gifted, they're doing really well in school, they have really difficult home lives, Elena and Lila, they're both poor, um, Obviously, in the 50s in Italy, there's a lot of, like, expectations about what girls are supposed to be and what girls are and are not allowed to do and how far they are or are not expected to go in school, no matter how intelligent they are. Um, And so in the first book, you are watching Lila, who is the friend of my brilliant friend, um, who's actually a little bit smarter than Elena. Like she's not, she's more creative. Um, she's definitely got a sharper wit and she's, she's faster and she, um, can memorize things and commit like new knowledge to her brain with a lot less effort than Elena can. So there's a little bit of jealousy and friction in their friendship from the beginning. And then that grows and gets larger and larger, uh, as the books continue, as you move on through books two, three, and four, um, to affect, you know, in this one, their kids. And it's like, She's better than I am at the spelling bee. But by book four, it's like people think, like my husband thinks she's pretty. You know, like big, huge adult stories. I don't know if you can hear my dogs barking, but my dogs are barking quite loudly. (laughs) Um, I don't know what to do about that. So I'm just going to keep going. Um, Anyway, the uh, Ferrante's writing is really deceptively simple. So it makes them easy to get through. I read all four books in within like a day or two because I just get into the lives of these two women, uh, well, girls at the beginning, and then women as the story moves on. Um, and in the first book, um, you really are, you're following the two of them. It's almost like a contest as a reader. Like you want to see who does better, who um, succeeds more in school and like is going to get out of the neighborhood. And then both of the girls take these paths that you're not expecting. Uh, and it's just really starkly realistic. And I feel like very accurate um, as far as no matter how intelligent you are, if you're a woman in Naples in 1950, this is what your life is going to be. So um, it's infuriating at times. Both of the characters are really human and make decisions that make you want to do violent things to them because it's like, what are you doing? Um, but, you know, that's real life. So you won't be able to stop reading about their questionable life choices. So that's the Neapolitan series by Elena Ferrante. Gotta love some questionable life choices. So Um, questionable. Have you read these? (laughs) No, I haven't. I keep, the hype was so big that I've kind of put it off until it had faded a little bit and then it never faded. Yeah. Um, So I'm just just kind of waiting, Uh, but I'll get, I have them. I'll get to them. It will happen. It will. Um, okay, so question four. 
is from Kate. My brother's girlfriend had a baby, my nephew, about a year ago, and she's struggling with postpartum depression along with some other serious pre-existing issues. I got her for Christmas, Hyperbole and a Half by Ali Broche, which is amazing. Uh, she recently read it and it made her day. She told me she hasn't laughed so hard in a while and it really perked up in our subsequent conversations. She loves to read and has pretty broad tastes, but during times of depression like this, it appears she doesn't go looking for new things to read. I'm looking for books I can send her that could give her some moments of happiness during her struggles right now. Nothing preachy, advicey, how-to, or feel-good, just something light and fun with the right kind of tone that could help someone who is down feel better for a moment. I know I can't fix her, but sending a book lover a new book never hurt. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, do you want to go first or shall I? Uh, sure, sure. Um, so the thing that I love about Hyperbole and a Half is the f- like really funny um, and I guess lighthearted, but um, the funny, like the, the funny take on mental illness. That's what I pulled out of that, especially for someone dealing with something like postpartum depression, It's which I did have after my kids. So it's nice. Well, not nice, but it's helpful to read about someone who's feeling your feels, but can also have a sense of humor about it. Anyway, so that's what I went with. So my first pick for you is Let's Pretend This Never Happened by Jenny Lawson. Uh, Jenny Lawson is the blog ass. I think I've talked about this book on the show before, um, but she's the blog ass. And her this is a kind of memoir about her growing up in Texas, in rural Texas, in like extreme poverty, dirt floor kind of poverty with her family, who was very strange. Her father was an amateur taxidermist, which meant that a lot of her childhood was spent discovering like randomly and very poorly stuffed dead animals in various and sundry places in her house. Um, And Jenny Lawson has some anxiety problems, I think, um, and some depression that she just talked about on her blog. And she talks about pretty extensively in the book with a really great sense of humor. She also had some um, trouble conceiving. So she does have some of those. um, She has some, they're not essays, but like chapters where she with a lot of compassion and a lot of humor talks about the depression and the hormonal stuff that you're dealing with and all of the crazy things going through your mind around the whole concept of having kids, giving birth, all of that kind of stuff, which I think could be helpful. So that's Let's Pretend This Never Happened by Jenny Lawson. You will laugh, cry so much, like laugh until you cry, not cry out of sadness, but like laugh so hard that you won't be able to help snot coming out of your nose or maybe that was just me (laughs) awkward okay so yeah Jenny Lawson go read it uh yeah I you kind of Amanda kind of had the um memoirs nailed down so I was trying to think of fiction that is sort of like my for lack of a better word like blanky fiction like it makes you feel like you're like safe and snuggled up and the first one I thought of is Howl's Moving Castle by Diana Wynne Jones which is sort of a fairy tale um it's about a young woman named Sophie who is the eldest of three daughters and because she knows her fairy tales she knows that the eldest daughter if she goes on a quest never ever wins um And so she has dedicated her life to kind of staying at home and making sure her sisters, you know, get what is, you know, get good lives. Um, Which means that, you know, she's kind of stuck at home with her stepmother working in the hat shop. She doesn't really want to work in the hat shop, but she knows that she feels like she knows that if she goes out and tries to do anything else, she's just going to fail because she lives in a fairy tale sort of guided world. Um, And then one day she's working in the hat shop and she gets cursed by a witch. And she gets turned into the little old lady because she's basically living her life as if she's a little old lady. And now suddenly she feels free because she's already failed. So she's going to go have an adventure. So <laughs> she she leaves the hat job and she's kind of like hobbling along with her little stick. And she goes to uh, take on the wizard Howl, who has kind of been... Um, He's, he's, I'm trying like, for lack of a better word, like, has been flirting with the local girls and, like, she thinks he's bad news. So she's going to go yell at him because <laughs> she's now a little old lady. Sophie is so funny. I love her so much. She's so acerbic and wry and, but also, like, really trapped in herself so she goes off to yell at the wizard howl and sort of becomes his housekeeper and this story is you know it's a fairy tale so of course there's a romance and she learns something about herself and about the world but it never quite goes in the way you expect it to and it is such a funny lovely book uh there are others in the series but this is the one i always go back to and reread because the characters are just so well done there's so many laugh out loud funny movement moments and because it's sort of a fairy tale but it goes it's a little bit meta so it goes beyond that it just feels like a really safe fun way to think about like what we 
do in our lives and how we limit ourselves and but not in like a again not in an advice or preachy way just like in this sort of metaphorical way so that's howl's moving castle by diana Wynn jones okay my second pick for you is agora fabulous exclamation point by uh, Sarah Benincasa. Who I is love a- Sarah Benincasa <laughs> so much. Too. She's so good on Twitter. She is. She is. She's excellent. Was it with? Was I with you and I, I like accidentally crashed her lunch? At yes. The EA? Yes. It was you okay. and me and Swapna, and, and we Swapna. sat. We accidentally sat down next to her and John Scalzi, who were having lunch together. <laughs> that was a crazy moment. <laughs> yes, and then I think I said something like, "Is that Sarah Benincasa?" But like really loudly because yeah, yeah. she has very recognizable hair. Yeah, and then she looked up because I just said her name four feet away from her, like a creeper. <laughs> anyway, she, they were both very nice and gracious so nice. about it. So nice. Um, so Agora Fabulous by Sarah Benincasa. She's a comedian, and so this is super funny. And as I'm sure you can tell by the title, she suffered from agoraphobia. So she had some anxiety and major panic attacks. Um, And this is a memoir about her dealing with those. She had panic attacks starting from when she was a child, and then they got worse and worse and worse, and she was out trying to live her life. And then it got so bad that she started to be afraid of leaving her house, and then she started to be afraid to leave her bedroom and then her bed. And then she was doing stuff like peeing in bowls because she was afraid of getting up and going to the bathroom. So she had some really serious stuff going on. Um, But she has a good support system. She had family um, to kind of help her. And, like... Your sister, I mean, like, that's what you're doing right here. You're being her support system. So I feel like she can, you know, kind of relate to that a little bit. Um, But it's hilarious. Like, she's a comedian and you can tell. So she tells this story of her own struggles, which are large and, you know, notable. Like, you're reading this book like, ha that's so great. She made a joke about her hair, except she's also talking about how she hasn't left her bed in four weeks. And that's kind of terrifying and like, oh my gosh. So you'll go back and forth between like being horrified for her and like wanting to give her big hugs and then just laughing. Not at her, but like with her at herself. It's a really strange feeling. Um, but I think another thing that I really appreciate about, about this book is that if you read any of the Goodreads reviews or the reviews on Amazon, there are so many people, so many people who have read it who are like, I feel okay about saying that I have these anxiety issues now, or I feel good about admitting that I've got this mental illness and I'm going to go get help and all of this kind of thing. So um, the book is funny. It's affecting. It's light. It's a light take on a really dark issue, but it's also helpful. Like it's obviously inspired a lot of people to go out and, and, and get help for the issues that they have. So I appreciated that about it as well. So that's Agora Fabulous! Exclamation point by Sarah Benincasa, who was amazing. Follow her on Twitter. Agreed. Okay, so my second pick is Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell, which is a really lovely novel. Uh, It is about a girl named Kath who is just starting college, and she is deeply embedded in this sort of, like, faux Harry Potter fandom. Um, They're called the Simon Snow books in this, and she spends a lot of her time and a lot of her emotional energy writing fan fiction for this series that she loves. Um, And now she's starting college, and... There are some mental health issues in her family. Uh, she herself is struggling a little bit with depression, um, but she also is, you know, doing like normal, you know, 18 year old things like trying to figure out how to be her own person when she's been really close with her twin sister for so long. Um, but now they're not roommates and, and they're finding different friends and they're, you know, doing taking different classes. Uh, and she is also trying to balance her feelings about this fandom that she's in with trying to also grow as a writer and what does it mean to write your own characters or what does it mean to write for somebody else's characters and all of this sounds like very thought-provoking and it is but it's also just a really fun novel about like that first year of college where you're like oh my god how does this work um and Kath is so endearing and so interesting to follow around and the book is interspersed with little sections of her fan fiction for the series that she loves which is kind of fun it breaks it up in a really interesting way so I thought this was a really entertaining read that also will you know it provides insight into like some mental health issues but in a really sort of sidelong way like that's not the point of the book uh but it's in there so and I did think that the fan fiction stuff was super fun like it was really interesting to to have fan fiction of what is basically a fan fiction of Harry Potter like there's several Mm -hmm. levels of meta involved so that is fangirl by Rainbow Rowell 
All right. Um, I already did. Oh, sponsor. Woohoo. Okay. So we're going to talk about our second sponsor. This is actually a moment that I'm going to take to talk about our two new newsletters that haven't launched yet, but which you can sign up for um, and are coming soon. The first one is a weekly book news newsletter. So if you like critical linking, which is our daily um, roundup of like the bookish news that's happened the day before that we put up every morning, uh, then this is a newsletter that you will be interested in. It will be a little bit more fleshed out than critical linking, uh, where critical linking is just like a link to the news thing, and then Jeff puts a line or two about it. Um, this will be more thoughts about it. Uh, and so, yeah, if you follow book news, or you don't, or if you want to, like if you get overwhelmed by like Twitter, which I certainly do, I feel like I sit on Twitter and I follow so many people that it's just like book news in my face all day. So most of the time I just ignore it. Um, so if you're overwhelmed by all this stuff happening on social media and you want just one source for interesting things that are happening in the book world, then sign up for that one. The other one is going to be a biweekly audiobooks newsletter. So it'll be audiobook news, excerpts, interviews, just interesting stuff happening in and around and about audiobooks. Um, so if you're an audiobook person, check that out too. There'll be links to sign up for them in the show notes of this podcast. And that is all. Okay, moving on. Question number five. This is from Laura. I'm writing in for any recommendations for myself and my brother as we're currently trying to work through mourning the sudden loss of our dog, Izzy. He had been with us for eight years and the both of us having never experienced losing anyone are kind of at a loss. I'm not sure what exactly I'm looking for, but I was wondering if there's anything that validates our grief as Izzy was much more than simply a pet. Fiction or nonfiction is welcome. Um, so you want to go first? Sorry, yeah, Laura. That sucks. Yeah. It's, I know it's it's really rough. Um, I have lost pets myself and it is really hard. So the first book I'm going to recommend to you is one that I was sitting on the couch reading and like crying <laughs> and my significant other at the time came home and was like, what's happening to you? And I was like, I'm reading this book about a dog. Um, and <laughs> it's a really good book. It's called Merle's Door Lessons from a Free Thi- Lessons from a Free Thinking Dog by Ted Karasoti. It's about a guy, Ted, who is on a camping trip and comes across a dog uh, who is living on his own in the wild. So Ted, you know, adopts the dog, names him Merle, and brings him home. And he, yeah, I know, it's such a weird name. Like, I really, (laughs) there's a lot of things that you're like, this is really odd about this. So he discovers that Merle is, like, not actually going to be a good house dog. So he just puts it in a doggy door and then lets the dog come and go however he pleases uh, which is like, I mean, if you're living like kind of out in the middle of nowhere, I guess you can do that. I don't know. So regardless, the way that he talks about Merle is really interesting because he's looking both at the science of dogs. Like there's a lot of interesting insights about canine science in here, but also like what it means to have a dog who has a big personality and who is not going to be like a normal household pet. And who, since the dog had been living on its own for a while, has evolved his own coping strategies for dealing with things like traffic or whatever. Um, And so, yeah, and then, of course, the dog dies and you're like, oh, my God, this is so sad. Um, And he deals with it, I think, really well. Like he's he's looking at it not just from a dog owner perspective, but also from sort of like an observer, an observer of dogs perspective. And it's a really lovely, interesting read. So that is Merle's Door by Ted Karasoti. Okay, my first pick for you is Art of Racing in the Rain by Garth Stein. This is told from the perspective of a dog named Enzo. Um, He's elderly, this dog, and you realize, like, from the very beginning that he's on his way out, you know. Um, I have kind of a hard time with, like, the dog dies books. It makes me very sad. But you know going in that that, that, that's what's going to happen, like, from page one. So he's an older dog. He's very philosophical, and he was really not obsessed, but convinced that once he dies, he's going to come back as a human being. And he's looking forward to that because he's been with his same master or owner or whatever, human, uh, Denny, uh, for most of his life. And and he wants to come back and somehow be in Denny's life again because he really loves him. And it's just very, like, heartwarming. Anyway, Denny's an up-and-coming race car driver who also works, I think, at a a garage, if I remember right, Um, while he's trying to get his racing career off the ground, he meets a woman and gets married. Um, they have a daughter, and then Denny's wife gets diagnosed with a fatal illness and goes through that process. And you're seeing this whole process of this family coming together, having a child, and then kind of falling apart as the wife gets more and more sick through the perspective of the dog, um, which is a really interesting... I, I had never read anything like that, and I thought it was 
I don't know, not nice because it's sad, but uh, a, a new and interesting way of doing it. And so if you are the kind of person who thinks that your dog or any of your pets, um, you know, aren't just a pet, which I think most of us do. Like if you're a dog person or a cat person, you're not then you're not going to be the kind of person who's like, it's just a dog. You know, um, I, I definitely like assign I don't know, thoughts and personality traits to my dog that she maybe doesn't have in real life, but I don't care because I like her. And so this really affirms that like Enzo has thoughts and opinions about things um, and he reacts to other people in, in specific ways based on his emotions and like his really thought out logical ideas about how human beings are supposed to be. And so I don't know, it's it, that part of it, like this reflection on human humanity and the behavior of people and like our relationships through the point of view of a a pet who is with you constantly and sees you in all of your ugliness and all of your horrible moments and all of your great moments but still loves you anyway like hearing the thoughts that someone has given them is just i don't know it's a really interesting and affirming sort of exercise so that's the art of racing in the rain by garth stein i did love that book also and and there's like a kid version oh really yeah there's like a children's edition that's really nice too Are they, aren't they making like a movie or a series out of it or something? I swear I saw an announcement. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, (laughs) Okay. So my second pick is A Three Dog Life by Abigail Thomas, which is sort of, um, it's a memoir about the blessings that having dogs can bring into your life. So it's heavy, but it's good. Uh, Abigail's, Abigail Thomas is a memoir, so her husband, Rich, was in a car accident that led to him being institutionalized because his brain was so damaged after the accident that he, like, has no memories and is not able to form new ones. So he just kind of lives eternally in the present, which is obviously not a safe way to live out in the world, so now he has to be institutionalized, and so her entire life changes. Um, And so she moves to a new town, and she gets three dogs, and she's going to knit, and she's going to try to find new friends friends and she's going to go visit her husband who's now institutionalized and try to understand what her life is going to be with this dramatic change in it um so it's a lot about you know her marriage and her husband and and you know dealing with the loss of a loved one who's kind of still there but also like how having pets can help get us through these really difficult times because I know I mean any pet owner knows that like when when things get real, <laughs> there's nothing quite like when your dog or your cat like comes over and like, you know, puts the paw on you and snuggles up and you're like, okay, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to pet this animal and they're going to love me and it's maybe going to be okay for a minute. So, uh, so this book is a lot about that feeling. So that's A Three Dog Life by Abigail Thomas. Okay, my second pick for you is recommended by a contributor. I put this question up to the contributors um, to get some ideas for you and it's uh recommended by rebecca and it's mark uh, mary dotty's dog years it's just called i mean sorry mark dotty's dog years it's called dog years so this is a memoir um mark dotty decided to adopt a dog to bring home as a companion for his partner who was dying and so he brings home this girl this big like goofy golden retriever named Bo, who is himself malnourished and not in great shape and really needs um, you know, like a lot of care to get back in good health. And he joins uh, Arden, who is the family's other dog, a, a black um, a black retriever. And so now their family is kind of complete. They've got their two dogs, the two humans, whatever. So Bo starts to recover and kind of come back to life. And then the two dogs become Mark's, you know, like closest companions and the things that bring him the most solace during um, a time in his life that, is really dark and sad for him because he's watching his partner die. Uh, and so this is a book about, that, like you're asking for something that will talk about how dogs aren't just dogs. That's what this is. Like they, these dogs bring him measures of comfort that no human being can possibly bring. Um, you know, like that silent love and positive energy that a dog will give you no matter what you're going through and how they always seem to know the moments when you need that, that sort of, attention from them like dogs no dogs just know um because we're not as great as at hiding our pain as we think we are especially from our pets uh so this is so if you're looking for nonfiction, then this is a great pick according to rebecca so that's dog years by mark dotty all right all right last question 
This is from Catherine. Uh, Every year, my godmother gives me books for my birthday and Christmas, and I feel that now I'm technically an adult. It's long past time for me to get her a gift in return. Her birthday is at the end of April, and I want to get her a couple of books, but I'm stuck on what books to get. She usually gives me books she's enjoyed herself. In the past, she gave me Stoner by John Williams, We Are All Completely Beside Ourselves by Karen Joy Fowler, Burial Rites by Hannah Kent, and a couple of Alice Monroe collections. As far as I can tell, her taste is mostly literary fiction, and she seems to keep pretty up-to-date with new releases, so if you have any front-list or recent-ish recommendations, that would be amazing. And I was was reading this question, and I just literally wrote in the show notes, Stoner! Heart, 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 heart. (laughs) She did. (laughs) I did love Stoner. Um, So I enjoyed this question, so thank you for that. Um... So my first pick, I tried to, I tried really hard to come up with new, new stuff, um, which is tricky, but the first thing I thought of was The Turner House by Angela Flournoy, which is just recently in paperback, I believe, uh, it came out last year, was like hugely buzzy, um, it is about a family in Detroit, who have lived on the same street for over 50 years. Uh, there's So it's one of those multi-generational family novels where, you know, you see kids grow up and move out and come back and there's grandkids and all of that stuff. Um, and through the lens of this family, you're also seeing the way Detroit is changing uh, because obviously it has changed a lot um, over the course of recent years. And... Uh, and it comes to a moment where um, the matriarch of the family is falling ill and losing her independence, and they might lose the house um, because it's, you know, not worth as much anymore, and the financial bubble has popped, and there's the mortgage, and all this stuff, and so the grown kids are called back to home to try to figure out what they're going to do. Um, it's a little bit magical realism. Uh, it's a really lovely story, beautifully written. I think she would really enjoy it. So that is The Turner House by Angela Flournoy. Okay, my first pick is Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff, which was my like, favorite book of last year. I loved it so much. Um, so this is the story of a marriage between Lotto and Matilda. They are kind of golden children. Lotto especially is born into a really wealthy family. He goes off uh, to college and is becomes a successful playwright and marries Matilda, who's this tall, glamorous, beautiful woman. Everything he touches turns to gold um, because he's, you know a really wealthy white dude with some mediocre talent. And so the first part of the book, the first half of the book is told from his point of view. So you see him growing up, going off to school, making friends, meeting his wife. Uh, They get married really, really young. I think like they're 22 when they get married and they stay married for decades. And um, so you see him staying faithful, which is kind of a feat for this character uh, and all the ins and outs of their daily life and his career. And then the second half of the book is told from Matilda's perspective. And that's where it gets interesting because you come to find out that everything that Lotto thought was true about his wife and his marriage is not. And everything that Lotto thinks is true about his career and his talent, also not true. Um, So it's got a lot of um, like, I mean, it's nothing like Gone Girl. There's none of that. Uh, it's not a mystery or whatever. But it has that kind of rage that Gone Girl has uh, in the second half of the book. Um, and I am always here for literary fiction examinations of deteriorating marriages. So, yeah. So that's Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff, which I'm sure you've heard of. It's been everywhere since it came out and won a ton of things. So go read it. Indeed. Uh, my second pick is one that has been recommended by Liberty Hardy, our resident Velocirator. Um, so it, it's Margaret the First by Danielle Dutton. And what I think is uh, interesting about this book is it's a novelization of the life of a real woman, Margaret Cavendish, who was a 17th century duchess who was a writer and a philosopher and a playwright. And she wrote like utopian science fiction in, like, the 17th century when women were not really allowed to do many things. Um, and so it's, it follows her life, as you know, in the court um, and her exile to France when King Charles is overthrown and she gets married and she actually finds a husband who encourages her, which is amazing. Um, and she was, like, a tabloid celebrity. I mean, this is a woman whose life is absolutely fascinating. And from what I understand from Liberty, uh, Danielle Dutton does a really great job of bringing her to life and imagining what it must have been like to be her during this time period and to be such an iconoclastic person, uh, despite all of the sort of roadblocks and obstacles that society had set up at the time. So 
And also, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a novel about a historical person, but it's not a historical novel per se in that the language is very contemporary. Um, and so it's not really so much like, you know, uh, I guess like I'm thinking of like Hilary Mantel, who's amazing, mm-hmm. but her books are very, f- like the writing style is very sort of, of it tries to immerse you in that time period's stream of consciousness and thoughts and and Danielle Dutton's doing something a little bit different. So that is Margaret the First by Danielle Dutton. Okay, my second pick for you is Association of Small Bombs by Karan Mahajan, and this just came out last month. Um, and this is such a good punch of a book. It opens with two boys, brothers, be, who are killed immediately, like in the first chapter, in a bombing in a marketplace in Delhi. And they're the only children of a couple who obviously live in Delhi, and they they die, but their friend who they were with, their schoolmate, uh, survives. And so he runs off out of, you know, to escape this bomb. Um, and then the book follows the family, um, his parents, the, I mean, not his parents, the children, the two boys who died, their parents, as they deal with the grief of losing their children. You follow the survivor, the boy who survived, as he grows up um, and has to deal with, with the physical, like the physical, mental, and emotional survivor's guilt, the pain that he's got, um, his injuries and all of that up into adulthood uh, and the friends and family of the people who knew the boys. You're also following the bombers. So the men who put the bomb in this marketplace, they're, and so you're kind of discovering their reasons. I'm not that anybody has a good reason, but, you know, um, the reasons that these characters have for planting that bomb and continuing to do that because these men, the men are terrorists. They're do this for a living. They're bombers. Um, and so that is what I thought was so interesting about this book is you can, you can read accounts of family members or victims of terrorist attacks. There are novels about that out there, but I don't think there is many that consider the point of view or perspective or motives of the bombers themselves or what turns somebody into a person who thinks that that kind of violence is justifiable. And it's also making some comments about quote unquote, small bombs. So the bomb that kills the two boys, kills, I think, like 13 people in this marketplace. And those are the ones that don't make the news, especially in the U.S. You've got, you know, big terrorist attacks will make the news here, but stuff where only a few people are killed or only a few people are injured, we don't hear about those, but they are super frequent. Um, So it's so thought-provoking and just, man, I don't know. I mean, if you've got kids, it's probably tough. I I read the first chapter, put it down for three weeks, and then read the rest of it because it was really kind of difficult for me. Um, but yeah, so that's The Association of Small Bombs by Karan Mahajan. And that's it. We did it. Woo! That's our show. Oomch, oomch, oomch. So if you like... <laughs> I, I, don't know what I just did there. It was like a club beat. <laughs> I, I love it when you go club on the show. <laughs> I know. It's just weird. It's my favorite. I don't know what that means. Uh, anyway, if you like the show, you can rate us and leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, you can find us on social media at I'm Amanda Nelson. That's me. Jen is at Jen IRL. Jen with two N's. And thank you to our sponsors ourselves, Book Riot Live. If you are interested in that, go to bookriotlive.com and register. You still get the early bird discount. And our two new newsletters, uh, Book News and the audiobook newsletter, I will leave links to those in the show notes for you to sign up. And we will talk to you all next week. Bye.